So have you ever been unfairly judged solely by, um, you know, external appearances? Um, somebody looked at you or what you were wearing and they made a judgment call that just seemed unfair to you, like you're dressed in your St. Louis Cardinals shirt, sitting in the middle of a sea of blue in Wrigley Field and everybody's looking at you like, what are you doing here? Or you show up at the dinner party, you know, in your jeans and your old t-shirt only to discover it's a formal dinner party, right? People look at you like, what is wrong? What are you doing here? To feel judged is a very difficult experience. Hey, Shrek, what are we going to do when we get out of swamp anyway? Our swamp? You know, when we threw rescuing the princess and all that stuff. We? Donkey, there's no we. There's no our. Mm -hmm. There's just me and my swamp. And the first thing I'm going to do is build a ten-foot wall around my land. You cut me deep, Shrek. You cut me real deep just now. Hey, you know what I think? I think this whole wall thing is just a way to keep somebody out. No. Do you think? <laughs> Are you hiding something? Never mind, donkey. Oh, this is another one of those onion things, isn't it? No, this is one of those drop it and leave it alone things. Well, why don't you want to talk about it? Why do you want to talk about it? Well, why are you blocking? I'm not blocking. Oh, yes, you are. Donkey, I'm warning you. Who are you trying to keep out? Just tell me that, Shrek. Who? Everyone, okay? Oh, now we're getting somewhere. Oh, for the love of Pete. Hey, what's your problem, Shrek? What you got against the whole world anyway? Huh? Look, I'm not the one with the problem, okay? It's the world that seems to have a problem with me. People take one look at me and go, Ah, help, run! A big, stupid, ugly ogre. <sighs> they judge me before they even know me. That's why I'm better off alone. So many of you possibly have been there. Right? They judge me even before they know me. And it's a terrible feeling. But what if those who are doing the judging are on the inside and their judgment is keeping those on the outside from coming in? What if those who are doing the judging are in the church? So today we are in the Gospel of Luke again as we continue a story in which Jesus confronts a very judgmental attitude, but also in the process of confronting that attitude, he also demonstrates and shows his unbelievable forgiveness and grace and mercy. So we're in this series entitled, Who is This Jesus? And in this series, in the Gospel of Luke, what we're doing is we're taking a look at some of the reaction and the responses to some of the teaching of Jesus, some of his miracles, to some of the way he acts and reacts to other people around. But we're taking a look at that, their amazing reaction, and we're using that to evaluate our own reaction and our own responses. Because our goal in this year, in 2021, is to get to know Jesus Christ better. And we're doing that by spending the entire year in the Gospel of Luke. And in fact, yesterday, um, our leadership, yesterday morning and afternoon and the evening before, here's a picture of all of us all masked up, our staff and our elders. We spent um, that time together, Friday night, Saturday morning, Saturday afternoon, just praying and planning and dreaming about how we as a church 
can get to know Jesus better? How can we step closer to Jesus Christ to get to know him better? And I'm so thankful for leaders who have that kind of heart and want that to happen for every single one of us in this church family. And it comes from the prayer from Ephesians 1.17 in which Paul prays this, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation, and here it is, so that you may know him better. So today's story comes from Luke chapter 7. So I want to invite you, if you haven't yet, to turn your Bibles to Luke 7. Use your phone, your tablet. Those of you online, there's that Bible tab at the bottom if you don't have your Bible with you. But it's, uh, to be honest with you, it's an extremely uncomfortable situation. I mean, it's one of those kind of situations where this woman, she just breaks all protocols in. It just makes everybody so uncomfortable, except for Jesus. So it's an encounter between two very different people, people from two opposite sides of the tracks, you know, people with two different philosophical positions, uh, two people, one who's on the inside and his judgmental attitude is trying to keep the other one on the outside and staying on the outside. And so in our story, Jesus confronts a very judgmental attitude, and in the, ter- in the process of that confrontation, he teaches all of us a critical lesson that judgment doesn't change a sinner's heart, but grace does. Now, we all need this message. I know I need this message, but i, I got to tell you up front, for those who are a, a part of the church, those who are followers of Jesus, this is, just, this is a tough message, Okay? You're going to get uncomfortable at some time in this message. But it's critical for us to look at how Jesus reacts and responds to this judgmental spirit. And the reason it's going to be uncomfortable is because we all have, myself included, a little bit of Pharisee in us. So let me read our passage, uh, Luke chapter 7, beginning in verse 36 through 50. Let me read this. You follow along in your Bibles, and let's study this passage together. Luke writes this, when one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume, and as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, well, if this man were a prophet, he would know who was touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. And Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii, the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debt of both. Now, which one of those will love him more? And Simon replied, well, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You've judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned towards the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she's poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. 
But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. And the other guests began to say among themselves, well, who is this who even forgives sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. So we have a couple of key characters in our story. We're first introduced to the Pharisee. Luke kind of begins the account this way. And so it says there in verse 36, when one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went into the Pharisee's house and he reclined at the table. So who is a Pharisee? So the sect or the group of Pharisees actually began probably about in 135 B.C. at a time where most of God's people, the nation of Israel, didn't even want to follow God, let alone obey his laws. And so this was this group of people that they said, we're going to get together and we're going to obey the law of God to the letter perfectly. And so by the time Jesus comes around, this group of Pharisees, they were considered to be like the top echelon of religious people. The problem was their effort at being perfect in obeying every single part of the law led them to, towards legalism and having a very judgmental spirit. So we got a Pharisee here, and what does he do? Well, he invites Jesus to have dinner with him, which is a great thing. You know, oftentimes, if you were a religious leader and a prominent teacher would come along, you would invite him to your house. He would probably invite some friends over so they could hear, ask questions to do some listening there. Now, what is his motives we're not really told, right? It doesn't tell us there. But it uses this phrase there in verse 36, says they were reclining at the table. So this is a cultural thing. It's not like they're sitting at a table like this, though this one's kind of small for dinner, right? But it's, they're not sitting at a table in chairs. It's more like there's a very low table in the center of the room or maybe just a really nice rug. And so all of the food and utensils and everything's on that rug. And so you're reclining at the table. So it'd be like you're laying down on your elbow and your feet and your legs are going back behind you. Now, why would you want your feet and legs back behind you? It's because you don't want to be eating your soup and have somebody's big, ugly, dirty, gross toes right in front of you as you're trying to eat your meal, right? And so they're reclining behind you, which is important to kind of have an understanding or a picture of this story there. So we got the Pharisee, but next Luke introduces us to this sinful woman, and he, he doesn't do anything to try to conceal this woman's reputation. Verse 37, a woman in town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, so she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. So Luke just says it, who lived a sinful life. A little uncomfortable, right? He just writes it out there. So what does it mean? It's probably code for she was a prostitute. She learned Jesus was in town. She came there with this alabaster jar of perfume. And it's a little bit strange to us, right? Because if you're having a dinner at your house with some of your friends or even invite somebody in... Most of the time, somebody's not going to just walk into your house, right? You're going to probably say, uh, excuse me, what are you doing here? We didn't invite you. But in that culture, um, it was a much more open culture, especially if you had somebody significant like that. Picture, uh, you know, some kind of state dinner, and they have all these cameras around so that you can kind of see in and be a part of it. It would be like that. The door would be open, and 
People in town who were interested in hearing what was going on could come in, but they would sit around kind of the outside of the room. You know, they weren't participating. They were just listening there. The problem was no one expected someone like this to show up at the dinner party. Now, it says she had this alabaster jar. So alabaster was a... um, a very expensive but kind of soft material that they would carve like this, uh, some kind of a holder or container, and it was generally thought to be able to keep perfume or something like that protected there. And so she comes in with this alabaster jar, and what does she do with this perfume? Well, verse 38, it says, As she stood behind him, At his feet, right? So again, she's back here because his feet are back behind them. Um, She's weeping, and she begins to wet his feet with their tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. So she is just weeping. And she notices that her tears are falling on Jesus' feet. So what does she do? She gets down on her knees and she lets down her hair, which in that culture for a woman was a very kind of intimate act, right? And she begins to wipe his feet and then she takes the perfume and she pours it on his feet and she's weeping and she's wiping and she's pouring. And I mean, can't you imagine how awkward this is right now? Nobody is saying, can you please pass me the potatoes? Because everybody's just staring like with this look of like, what is happening? You know, what is this woman doing there? And again, somehow, but Luke lets us know, she knows Jesus is in town. So she comes here with a purpose. She comes here knowing that Jesus is there. She comes with some intention. In fact, we know that even more so because she brings this alabaster jar of perfume with her She has something in mind that she's going to do there, and she anoints Jesus, and she wipes his feet, and you know what? Jesus doesn't stop her. He doesn't say, oh, quit doing that. But we begin to learn about the attitude of the Pharisee in verse 39. It said, when the Pharisee, who had invited him, saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who was touching him and what kind of woman that she is, that she is a sinner. The first thing you notice, this guy has a critical judgmental spirit towards Jesus. If he were a prophet, you know, he would know who this woman is, which is, you know, and he, he doesn't say it out loud, right? It says, he says it to himself there, which is, what we tend to do with our judgmental words, we say them to ourselves. We think them to ourselves. Judgment is oftentimes an inside job, right? But it can't be concealed from Jesus. In fact, a judgmental spirit can't be concealed from the people that we're expressing that judgment towards. But we also know that he's not only judgmental towards Jesus, he's also judgmental towards this woman. What does he say there if he knew what kind of woman this is, that she is a sinner? He might as well just have said that she's a prostitute. What would be said today? He only knew what kind of woman she is, that she's gay, that she's black, that she's liberal, that she's transgendered, that she's Muslim, that she's a convict. 
it is so easy to judge on external appearances. So about three or four years ago, I get this letter in the mail, which is unusual to sell. People don't write letters a lot anymore, but it's of a family. Obviously, um, they're church hunting, and they write this letter saying, you know, that they were thinking about coming to our church like it was a, some kind of a gift to us. But then in the letter, this guy, who's obviously a church guy, a religious guy, um, he felt the need to point out the fact that our student minister should be more conscious of his appearance, that his tattoos and his um, spacers in his ears didn't really display the kind of example or model that we want for the young people today trying to live for Jesus Christ. My first thought was, wow. I can't believe how judgmental this guy is. I couldn't believe that he actually said those words. And then the second thing I thought is, I hope he never comes to this church. We don't need that kind of judgmental attitude in this church. We all struggle enough with it as it is. A, a judgmental spirit always points out what they perceive to be the failings of other people, even when they don't know them at all. And finally... Jesus speaks out to this judgmental spirit. Now, up to this point, he's kind of been on the back background. He hadn't really been participating in any of this kind of stuff. He's kind of been a bystander. But I, I think when this judgmental spirit began to be portrayed towards this woman, I don't think he really cared about it towards him. But when it began to be portrayed toward this woman, he, he begins to do some teaching. And this is when it's time for us to really listen. And this is when it starts getting a little bit more difficult. But Jesus begins to teach us, beginning in verse 40. So Jesus answered him, Simon, I've got something to tell you. Tell me, teacher. You wonder what his tone was when he, you know, tell me, teacher, or I don't know. He said, two people, Jesus did, owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii, the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back. So he forgave the debts of both of them. So he tells a story, he tells a parable, very brief one. Two people are in debt, right? One owes a lot more than the other person, but neither of them have the means to be able to pay them. So 500 denarii, 50 denarii. Um, basically, in our, in our dollars today, it would be something like $10,000 versus $103,000. But you got a pretty low income to be able to pay that off. Neither of them could pay that money. So what happens? The money lender earn, learns that neither of them can pay it off, and so what does he do? He forgives the debt. First thing that comes to my mind is I'd like the number of that money lender, right? I'd like that particular person so I can borrow money from them. They seem to be a little bit gracious there. But Jesus isn't, the story is not about the money lender. Jesus takes a focus and he looks at the two people who owe the money and their attitude that they have towards having that debt forgiven. And he does this in very Jesus fashion by putting the question back to Simon, making him respond. He goes on there in verse 42, now which of them will love him more? And Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You've judged correctly, Jesus said. And to me, the wording of that question is interesting. Which of them will love him more? I wouldn't have probably chosen that word, but Jesus has a very intentional purpose. He's using that love and regard for my view and attitude 
towards being forgiven of a great debt. And he's also using that to confront the judgmental attitude that Simon has here. You know, if you knew who this woman is, she's a sinner. But Jesus' words really help us to, to see yet again the scope of the ministry and the compassion and the message and the work of Jesus, that his attitude was not towards sinners, was not one of being judgmental towards them, but of grace and of mercy. In fact, one of the most famous verses, you know, you see it, the placard at football games, or I guess pre-COVID you would see the placard at football games, John 3, 16, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. But the next verse is equally as significant, John 3, 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that through him the world might be saved. Jesus didn't come to bring condemnation to people because Jesus knows that judgment doesn't change a sinner's heart. Grace does. But Jesus isn't done applying this particular parable, and so now he turns his attention to the woman. So verse 44, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house. You didn't give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. So he says there, do you see this woman? I mean, you can't miss a woman who's standing there weeping and wiping your feet, right? It, it, that wasn't the point of the question. It was, do you really see this woman? And the answer is obvious. Simon, he can't see past her sinfulness, which is at the heart of a judgmental spirit. We can't see a person for who they can become, we can only see them for who they are. Simon can only dwell on the sinner's past record, but Jesus always prefers to see the potential in a person who understands and receives the forgiveness and grace of Jesus Christ. That's what can change a person's heart. And it's really a crucial question for you and I to ask ourselves, do we really see, or can we only see the behavior, the external things? And then what does Jesus point to? Her actions with, which reveal her undisguised expression of love towards Jesus Christ. Now there's a lot of discussion as I was studying this about, was this this woman's first meeting with Jesus, or had she already met Jesus before, right? Because it kind of seems like she enters into this having some kind of grasp or understanding or experience with Jesus. So she could have met him before, he could have forgiven her before, or it could have just been that Jesus had such a reputation among sinful people that they knew this was someone you could come to who would never judge you, who would not condemn you but who would love you and forgive you and give you hope in overcoming what you were struggling with. Either way, Jesus indicates that this woman's action reflect her, her um, experience of forgiveness, that she understood what Jesus was all about. And the Lord's declaration to her of the forgiveness of sins confirms what 
the parable has already told us there. Look at verse 47. Therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown, but whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Now, you, you need to notice, Jesus doesn't deny that she's a sinner, okay? He doesn't, he doesn't do that. But that's not the point. She loved greatly because she knew she had been forgiven greatly. In fact, there's a very much an implied warning to, to Simon in this particular passage because obviously by Jesus' words, how did Simon see himself? He saw himself as the little sinner. I'm not that bad. I haven't really done that much wrong, right? I'm a great guy, other not like this particular woman who is here. It's like Jesus is saying, you know what? The reason your love may not be great is because you have not realized the depravity of your own sinfulness and the astonishing gift of God's grace of forgiveness that could be yours. And Jesus challenges us in how we look at our own sin, that we need to beware and then we see the reaction of the other guest in the story here, right, who've kind of been keeping themselves to the background, right? He goes on, verse 49. He said to her, your sins are forgiven. And the other guests began to say among themselves, well, who is this that even forgives sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. How do you think they spoke those words? Who is this who even forgives sins? I wonder, was it like they were amazed, who is this who forgives sins? Or was it judgmental? Who does this guy think he is, thinks he can forgive sins? But the important question is, how do I react to this story? How do you respond to this story? Is there a little bit of uneasiness that it seems like Jesus has let this woman off too lightly? I think our reaction reveals our hearts. He says to her, your faith has saved you, go in peace. I think that's so interesting. Your faith has saved you, go in peace. You see, the Pharisee put his faith in his own ability to be good enough. And for that he was condemned. Whereas the woman knew she was hopeless, that her sin is what can be. She had no ability to put faith in herself, so what did she do? She put her faith in Jesus Christ and she was forgiven. And who do you think walked away from this story ready to live a life that truly honored God in his call in our life? You see, judgment doesn't change a sinner's heart. It is the grace of Jesus that does that. So again, this is a really challenging lesson, and the reason is because every single one of us has a little bit of Pharisee in us. In fact, turn to the person next to you and say, you got a little bit of Pharisee in your heart, right? I mean, we all have that, right? We all struggle with this in our hearts. That was fun to be able to do, wasn't it? Just to look at that person and say that. So what do we do? So here's a couple of things from our story. I think lesson number one is we got to learn to confront our own judgmental spirit. I mean, we... we we just have to learn that that's a possibility. It is just so easy to be judgmental, to judge somebody solely on how they look or how they happen to be behaving at that particular moment. I mean, I struggle with that. I see some guy with his pants down below his butt walking around, and I'm like, oh my goodness, you know, or I, 
I see somebody who's standing there begging at the exit ramp, and I just really struggle with that, or just about anybody driving down the road. I really struggle with being judgmental, you know? I mean, I, I do. I, it's, it's this judgmental, it's just the tendency of our hearts. And so how do we, we overcome it? I think that we overcome it by remembering what Jesus Christ has done for us. We are the 500 denarii sinner in this particular story, right? We could never repay that debt. Psalm 103 verse 12 says, As far as the east is from the west, so far as he has removed our transgressions from us. So how far is the east from the west? Do you know it's a lot further than the north is from the south? So let's imagine that, uh, I got this lovely globe, our neighbor loaned us here, so let's imagine that you start here and you begin to go north. Eventually, you're going to reach the North Pole, right? You're going to get there. Or if you begin to go south, and of course, this is not to scale. We all understand that. But you begin to go south, right? And you will eventually reach the South Pole. But let's imagine, okay, so let me find the United States. There it is right there. There's the United States. So let's imagine that we start here in the United States and we start going east, and I start moving east, when will I ever begin to go west? Never. That's how far God has removed your sins and my sins from us. That's how much Jesus Christ has forgiven us. We are the 500 denarii servants. Some of you are the 498. A couple of you are the 10 million sinners, right? I mean, we are all sinners. We are in God's debt. And the more we recognize the sinfulness that we have, but the amazing forgiveness that God has given to us, it changes our attitude towards other people. And we've got to learn to confront our judgmental spirit. But I think the second way we do this is by remembering that judgment doesn't change a sinner's heart, grace does. So as I talked about at the beginning, this is really a contrast between those who are on the inside and how their attitude in judgment is keeping those on the outside from ever coming in. See, what happens is anytime I point out somebody's sin, whether they're on the inside or outside, but especially on the outside, anytime I feel the need to point out sin in somebody else's life, you know what I'm doing? I'm keeping that outsider away. I'm keeping them out. Because God uses a very different standard for those who are on the inside, forgiven, saved by Jesus Christ, and those who are on the outside. Because those who are on the outside, <clears throat> the only thing is this, they are either lost in their sins and they're going to hell, or they have made the choice to say yes to Jesus Christ. There's no other standard for them. There's just that one particular decision. And when somebody's on the outside, we don't say to them, or God doesn't say to them, okay, get all your stuff cleaned up and get everything working right and get all your sin dealt with, and then you can come and receive the forgiveness of grace of Jesus Christ. No, that's not what he says. What Jesus says to them is you come, you trust in me, you let me forgive you, and then you let my power in you begin to transform and change your heart and life so that you can become the kind of person that I know that you can become. And so as a church, we have to be constantly vigilant about how we react and respond 
to the sinners, those on the outside, in our world today. And when I say church, I don't mean this building, this structure, right? Because this isn't a church. The church is me. The church is you. Those of us who are followers of Jesus, and we're not just the church when we're in this building. We're the church no matter where we happen to be, if we happen to be sitting at home worshiping together with us, or if we're at work or in our neighborhoods, that is the church. And yeah, we might have someone show up to the assembly, right, to worship on a Sunday who makes us really uncomfortable. And my prayer is that we will have the heart and mind of Jesus and that there will be no judgment towards that person, and we can show great love and mercy and grace. But more than likely, as a church, we, how we react and respond to those who are on the outside will determine whether or not they stay on the outside or they see and experience the love of Jesus Christ. So who would the sinful woman in our story be represented by in our culture today? There's a lot of different people that might be there, that our judgmental spirit is repelling from Jesus. A couple that came to my mind would be illegal immigrants. Or what about somebody who has a different color of skin? You know, we may say, you know what, I'm not racist, Doug. I'm not racist. But the moment we declare, I'm not whatever it happens to be, is the moment we reveal that our hearts are somewhat deceived because we all have a little bit of Pharisee in our hearts. Three or four years ago, I was doing some messages about just different people and their struggles in the world, and one of the messages was about homosexuality. And I remember a grandma in a church after the message came up to me, and she was really struggling. She desperately loved her granddaughter who had told her that you know, she was gay, and she, what she was wrestling with is, if I keep showing her love and letting her be a part of our family, am I condoning the choice that she's making in her life? That's a tough thing to wrestle with, isn't it? To figure out. But look at this story. Jesus didn't condone her sins. Neither did Jesus clearly point out what she was doing wrong. He just merely extended his love and grace. He acknowledged that she had many sins. But he demonstrated and modeled for us that judgment doesn't change a sinner's heart. But the love and grace of God does. So we got a lot to wrestle with today, right? I told you it was going to be challenging. We've, we've got to consider our own attitude and heart and spirit, you know, is my judgmental spirit, is my judgmental demeanor or looks, is my judgmental social media posts, is that keeping the lost from Jesus? Judgment doesn't change a sinner's heart. The grace of Jesus does. As far as the east is from the west, that's how far God has removed our sins from us. For most of us in this room, at some point in our lives, some recently, some a long time ago, someone on the inside shared the love of Jesus to us when we were on the outside. And we've accepted that and received that forgiveness. Will we close the door on others who need the love of Jesus Christ?
Father God, I thank you for your great love and mercy for us, for the challenging accounts in your word of Jesus. And Father, I ask and pray that you would open our hearts to you and to your truth and your love. Father God, help us to remember that our sin nailed you to the cross and yet you loved and forgave us of those sins and to extend that mercy and grace to others. Lord, thank you for the invitation to be a part of your family. It's in your most precious name we pray. Amen.